What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> First we hear, you know, I can't really do an oak bugle very well, but it made the hackle hairs on the back of my neck go, woo, I was like, wow. And then all of a sudden here comes a harem of nice looking cows. I was like, wow, and they were close. That that uh, that bull, I could have thrown a stick and hit him. Yeah. And then I could smell, you know, they pee on themselves when they're full in the rut. and. But, you know, that's their cologne, evidently. I didn't find it that appealing. I don't think it worked too well in a bar. But. <laughs> but then he came over, and he was probably six by six, I think we counted. Huge, fat elk. And he took after some autumn olive and just shook with his rack and just tore the fire out of it. I think showing off for the girls. Yeah. Then I was like, I'm going to get a picture. And my flash unit came up, but click, like I got one fleeting, at one flash, and then... I mean, it's like they evaporated into thin air. They yeah. were gone, and no, no one ever came near us for the rest of the morning. But it was thrilling. That's the first time it was for me. We parked the truck, and we didn't walk 50 yards, and it was so foggy, you couldn't see 100. Mm -hmm. And we walked right up on two bulls, and it was just their silhouettes you could see in the fog, and they were going at each other. And then we started hearing bugles, you know, all around from some of them were probably half a mile away just carrying through the carrying through the valleys. And it will make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. You're mm -hmm. right. Oh, it was. I was like, wow. Have you ever been out there and heard that in person? Uh, no, not, you gotta not go. in person. You got to you got to you got to talk somebody, talk Rachel or so, whoever it is, into sending you out to elk country yeah. in September, and you'll, it's well worth the trip, no doubt. It's I was gonna say the one time I did see an elk like in person, it was um, I think it was more so like in a neighborhood, and it was a cow that was in like a ditch, and I just did three like double takes. I was like, oh my gosh, out in Kentucky. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's crazy. We were that. just out on a. Drive looking around for elk and just so happen to see you. In the most unlikely spot. Uh-huh, yeah. Well, but there was, was one in the middle of the field one time. We kept getting closer, kept getting closer, and it wouldn't spook. I was like, damn, he's a brave elk. And I found out he was kind of like, he had meningeal worm. <laughs> <laughs> the brain old does. Yeah, the, the, and that's, it's rare, but, you know, when you have elk and when you have white-tailed deer, uh, the, the deer, I think, can transpose the meningeal worm to the elk. Right? A lot of lot of lot of cervids just get brain injuries or skull fractures from fighting anyway. You gotta think about how hard those elk oh, go no. at each other. It's crazy. But I could have went out of the truck and pushed him over. I probably I think. probably a good choice not to. Yes. But um, I could have. Just in case he decided decided, well I'm not really meningeal worm and I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's go ahead and get the podcast started. <laughs> I'm Chase Winner, your host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. Hope everyone's having a good spring. Let's get some sunshine, please. Thank you. Yeah, sunshine. I'm actually a fan of this rain too, but today's guest, Olivia Dangler. Olivia, what's your job title? Yeah. Have you been on with this before? I haven't. Okay. Well First give us time. give us a rundown. Yeah. Well, I'm Olivia Dangler, the R three coordinator. Um, conservation educator here for Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife. So my main job is kind of two parts. One is the Become an Outdoors Woman mm -hmm. coordinator. So put on different programs specifically for ladies to learn more about the outdoors, mm -hmm. um, do different one day or weekend programs with that. And the other side of my job is the R3 coordinator. So that stands for recruitment, retention, and reactivation. So basically it's just stemming new ideas of how to introduce more people into the outdoors and then also to to help those that are currently in the outdoors to continue learning of whatever that may be i tell you i was thinking and i, I took I actually jotted down a few notes here it's been a while since we've done a podcast lee so i felt like you know oh, I, no, i forgot <laughs> how to do it well you know we had some we, we went about we basically missed a podcast we yeah. went about the time period of having missed one. So I jotted some notes down here and on my notes I have recruitment, retention, reactivation, you know, for R3. And I was thinking while I was jotting those down that some of like probably three of the five best things you can do in the outdoors to recruit or any of those really, but especially recruitment are coming up within the next couple of weeks or next month. And I, you probably, you're the expert, Olivia, so you probably have a better idea than me, but in just in my opinion, the white bass run, spring squirrel hunting, mm -hmm. and spring turkey hunting are probably three of the best five opportunities for someone new. Would, would, I mean, would you agree with that? My other two mm -hmm. I had were dove and rabbit, but those are obviously fall. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, spring definitely kicks off um, mentoring and just great opportunities to take somebody out hunting and fishing and weather's getting better. So it just starts it off for everybody. And then I agree, too. I mean, dove hunting in the, the fall oh. that seals well, the deal you know, everybody wants to take 
take a, a kid or a new hunter out deer hunting. Yeah, I mean, that's perfectly fine, especially if you've got a good property to go to. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, deer hunting's a lot of sitting still, and, you know, it's boom or bust. But if, just to me, it seems like white bass fishing, for instance, access is, you know, there's public access to pretty much everywhere that has good white bass fishing. So you don't have to worry about that. And it's easy enough, you know, some people deem themselves experts at white bass fishing. Well, during the run, you can be as novice as, you know, you can literally be as green as it gets and go out there and have luck. So if you want to take somebody out there and let them have success and and things like that, white bass is great. And then spring squirrel and spring turkey to me are just comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like you're freezing cold in Mm mid-November and you're not just sitting still and and waiting hours hoping you see something. You're, You're spring squirrel hunting or turkey hunting, you're... You know, you, you hear things and you see things and you can be, you know, you can move around and it's just much more engaging probably for somebody who hasn't done it. So I know that those are kind of aside from what you do, but just in general, as far as recruitment, retention, reactivation, it's like the perfect time of year. Oh, yeah. If somebody wanted to get somebody out there and introduce them to the outdoors, Definitely. the next the next month is, is like the time to do it. Yeah. So, and you all provide some resources for people who are wanting one to either get into the outdoors or two to to maybe help introduce somebody to the outdoors right Mm -hmm, definitely Uh, we do a lot of specific programs for adults um, starting with our field of fork events to Mm -hmm. learn more about hunting with that we have different species with the events Mm -hmm. so we just wrapped up a lot with our turkey field Mm -hmm. of forks um, for this year but Mm -hmm. also have done dove field of fork and deer field of fork also squirrel as well so um, like you said, Chase with squirrel hunting, it's just easy, accessible, and a um, mm-hmm. great way to get people outdoors. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'll be honest with you, there's no shortage of squirrels on no, the maze. No, no. So, so you can go. And I'd to, say hunting pressure is low, right. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, lower. You'd you'd be surprised if if you ask me. Like everybody has a stigma about a WMA where, oh, it's crowded, it's over. Mm-hmm. I bet you, like you know, per capita or per acre, or however you'd break it down, that private land gets hunted just as harder harder than wmas do you know just because i mean i'm thinking of 200 acres i i hunt i probably hunt that harder than any 200 mm-hmm. acres of wma really gets hunted you Definitely. know and and if you're willing to go a little extra at wma you can get in uh some really good territory mm-hmm. um derek beard was telling me his two biggest deer of all time have come off wmas yeah and he's got access to a ton of private land but he still hunts public land. Gabe Jenkins too. He's got that one seventies came off a of WMA. Mm-hmm. But so he's got to be willing to do a little more work. You yeah. said most of the turkey stuff is winding down yeah. or past, and that makes sense because if you want a turkey hunt this year, chances are you, you know, would have already looked into learning how to do that. It's less than two weeks away from general season. But sure. you're doing a mentor hunt still at Clay WMA during general season, right? Yeah, so with that, it's a neat opportunity. So um, in partner with uh, Becky Wall and another conservation educator, we're combining, it's a Become an Outdoors Woman Mm -hmm. event, but then also for college students at UK. So it's a combined um, mentor event. So Clay WMA is is one option, and then we have other few private and other um, WMAs too that we'll be using, and everybody will be spread out at different locations with different mentors. Mm So. that's another part of Field of Fork too, is also paired a lot of times with a mentor uh, mm-hmm. event and then become an outdoors woman. Yeah, so I mentored for well. one of those events in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a lot of fun being a mentor. But that's that's what I was thinking is that there's multiple stages to this these workshops. There's mm-hmm. kind of like a classroom portion where people actually sit down and learn like in a classroom setting and then there's hands-on portions also or in the field portions, right? Like you go as far as to teach somebody how to clean a turkey and potentially cook a turkey. Oh, yeah. Right? So, yeah. I mean, basically, if they go to one of these classes, they should learn what they need to know about the species and how to hunt them, the rules and regs, equipment needed, mm-hmm. all the way through actually seeing a demonstration of how to clean one or taking part in a demonstration and everything, right? The yeah. whole nine yards. Yeah. So, you what's the what's the feedback like after one of those events from the people who go through them? Do oh, they, yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's a great question. I know um, earlier in, in March we had a become on become an outdoors woman field of fork as well so there um it was just amazing atmosphere too it's just well what we have heard too from uh the women is a lot of times they you know rely upon like their husband a lot to 
um, either take them hunting or bait their hook if it was as far as with fishing aspects. Yeah. So with hunting, um, it was neat for that class where a lot of them were like, I, I want to learn for myself. Um, I want to, uh, or like, and it can, it can cause friction in a couple sometimes. Yeah, for you know? sure, <laughs> for sure. Or um, a lot of times they have the land for it or they may have um, access to equipment, but they're just not sure mm -hmm. how to get involved. So there, I mean, they're in a comfortable environment. They ask a lot of different questions. Um, and you're right, I mean, they learned anything from regulations to what equipment they need, um, to watching how to process a turkey, even get to try some recipes too. We had recipe cards um, of how to- I could to... use some of those recipes. I know. <laughs> you send, send me some of those. Yeah. But it's a part of our Cook Wild yeah. uh, program in partnership with the uh, UK Extension Office as well. Um, that they have a lot of great healthy recipes too. So yeah, with those ladies, I mean, basically they're they're ready to go. Um, that day we were gonna pattern shotguns with them as well, but the range was closed, unfortunately. Awesome. But um, a lot of times, yeah, they are able to shoot um, and get to maybe shoot a firearm for the first time. You know, I bet you that somebody who goes through one of those classes probably leaves with there's two different types of like knowledge in my, like to me, if you just ask me my opinion, there's two different types of knowledge and they probably leave with more of one type than some people who have been turkey hunting for several years. And that's like understanding the species and understanding the reasons for things. And, mm -hmm. you know, they probably know as more as far as that goes and are more prepared to hit the woods than some other people are. But there's also the experience you gain in the field, like that kind of knowledge that comes from actually being out there and really it's mistakes. You know, you got to make mistakes to, to get good at it, but mm -hmm. you're basically preparing these people as well as possible who go through the classes to go out there and be successful. And the next step for them is just to go and make the mistakes. Yeah. Right. Man. You know, because nobody could ever expect to, to be perfect when they, you know, just learning in a classroom setting and experiencing a hunt, you know, with a mentor first mm -hmm. time. I mean, it takes a lot of making mistakes to figure out what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do, but you're setting these people up perfectly oh, to go yeah. out there and maybe make as few mistakes as possible mm -hmm. or already kind of know why they're doing what they're doing or, or how to do what they're supposed to do. Does yeah. that make sense at all? Yeah, it does. See, I haven't gone through one of the classes. I've been at them before. Like I said, I was a mentor, but for me, I'm, I'm kind of just curious what it's like through a person's perspective who does go through the class and what they leave it with and how they feel about, you know, heading into the woods. Yeah. For the first time. I guess too, like two quick follow-up stories with mm -hmm. that of that same class was um, one lady, she's been to a lot of our different events here recently. Mm -hmm. um, she's just really excited to learn about, about hunting and fishing. But with her in particular, her husband passed away. Um, she has all of his hunting equipment, mm -hmm. both turkey and for deer. Um, she just loved the class, learned so much. And um, I asked her if she wanted to be part of the the mentor hunt to be a mentee for somebody to go with her and she's like no she's like this year i'm going to do it she's like i have all all the knowledge now she's like i have the equipment i can hunt right in my backyard and she's mm -hmm. like that's what i need to do i need to go out on my own and and try mm -hmm. she's like i have all the tools and so you're right chase i mean it's just that one time of like i just need to go out there now yeah. and yes hopefully not make a mistake but if right. i do then you learn from it yeah. um so there's with with her is a great example. That's a good story. I like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and a... then um, actually two sisters mm -hmm. uh, came to the class too. Um, both they are just head over heels in hunting and fishing right now too, and um, wanted to learn more about it. They did a little bit as like kids, but haven't really dived in. But with these two sisters, um, they both showed up to the class with. Um, brand new shotguns that were still in the boxes. <laughs> and so unfortunately with that, that range was closed, but we were able to walk with them and, and talk through like how to put their shotgun together. Yeah. And so it was really, really hands-on for yeah. them. Here's so. the, it's good to have it. I mean, here's the safety and you know, here's, you know, mm -hmm. checking, this is how mm -hmm. you know how many shells it'll hold and things like that. Because I mean, that's important too. I could see a novice hunter or somebody who hadn't really been experienced before getting out there with a shotgun that could hold five, you know? Yeah. I know. And I then, know that they're going to plug it. Yeah. yeah. So just general knowledge like that mm -hmm. is probably more useful than some some people who've been doing it for a long time even even think about, you know? Yeah. So that, that's really good. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think. So when you do the Becoming an Outdoors Woman workshops, 
what are some of the, like the things that you're teaching? Is there anything specific to ladies, or is the the theme different, or the messaging different, or, or what's that like? So, how is it tailored towards women? Is what I'm kind of asking. Yeah, sure. So, um, becoming outdoors woman is just a big overlying program. Um, mm-hmm. So it can be more specific where it's one topic like a beyond bow, like a kayak fishing event. Mm. Um, so it'd be very specific, could be a half hour or a half hour, three hours long or so. Um, or it's our weekend events where ladies can pick up to four different classes. Mm. Um, it's kind of like a like summer camp for kids, but uh, mm-hmm. we're all adults. And so really with both the weekend or the Beyond Bow events, it's just the atmosphere, I would say, is a lot mm-hmm. different. Um, it's just everybody is more on the same level of just being open and more confident to ask questions where they may not be in general um, if they went to a different class. But it really just starts with the, the friendships that they gain with talking with somebody. If mm-hmm. like, Like-minded individuals, too, if we're they feel like they're not alone in this and that there's other ladies like them that are learning along with them. Yeah. So I could see women being, I don't want to stereotype or generalize or anything, but I could see them just being more open-minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it seems like men, you know, might go into like a learn to hunt workshop and just kind of be a little bit macho mindset, like, Oh, I gotta be the best. And it might be a little bit intimidating to other people, you know, or just keep them from being able to learn as well as they should, you know? But it seems like a, a class of all women would probably be more like-minded, like you said, and just, I, know, I could see the information flowing better than if you got, you know, this macho personality and they're trying to be, you know, Billy B.A. Yeah. yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I will say, too, like, in the field of forks, I mean, there's a lot of guys that just are there to absorb, but you're right. I mean, I'm no, I'm sure that there are some that are more, you know, well, the interested in, like, getting, you know, a huge buck um, yeah. and more of that perspective than just having fun and hunting. So I think like that dynamic too has probably changed mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. course of the years yeah, and years. Yeah, I'd say that's of, a lot better yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And it just all comes down, down to of like, why do you hunt, why do you fish? And I think that is, is changing and it can be so different, um, especially with uh, people that are new into hunting and fishing right now. Like it could be just more of the local meat mm-hmm. that would drive them to mm-hmm. hunt or fish or too right i mean a lot of people they're not raised around hunting mm-hmm. and fishing um that's so. true like um i'm just thinking for i could see the local locavore is mm-hmm. i think that's a term right that it is locavore. Yes. um it's so much more sustainable and people are becoming more aware of where their food comes from they like are. i've seen a change just in Kristen, my girlfriend with how she looks at hunting because when i started dating her that's you know five years ago she wasn't opposed to hunting, but she didn't really have any interest in doing it. You know, she kind of not, not for me type deal. And then over the years as I've, you know, cooked meals and, and she's gone out and taken part with me. Now she's actually interested in going. And a big part of that is the sustainability of the meat and also the health benefits. Cause mm-hmm. it is much, much, much healthier for the consumer, for the environment, Fire, for yep. all around. I mean, and so if you're trying to make a good, you know, if you're somebody who, is looking at your options and you're weighing all of them, you'll clearly see that, you know, hunting your own meat is the best option um, if you're worried about, you know, your own health or sustainability. So I think a lot of people are going to be more interested in going that direction just because of that factor. Yes. You know what I mean? Like if you look at the nu- nutritional information of venison versus beef or pork, I mean, it's staggering. The The calories are one thing. I don't really care about that. But also like just the... the um, the vitamins and minerals that are included in it because of the, the, you know, variety of diet the deer have versus, you know, cattle or pork pretty much eating the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. So you are what you eat and they are one thing, whereas deer are a whole bunch of things. So I think more and more people are going to get more involved in hunting because of that, or at least I hope they will, but we're still seeing a decline in hunting though at the same time. So I was, yeah, I was curious how much that was a portion of like what the motivators are for people to get into your class or your classes. Is it, that they just want something to do? Is it that they want to spend more time outside and get more exercise? Or, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it could be a complete, like, variety of things. So what yeah. What do you, what like, if you had to rank it, I know I didn't, <laughs> I didn't ask you to prepare for this at all, but if you yeah. had to say why most people decide to take the classes, what would their reasoning be? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, well, we talked about the influence of the pandemic when definitely. we were walking over here. Yeah, you know. we did talk about that. 
Um, I would say definitely um, I've seen a lot with the Pecan Outdoors women participants too, which is where um, they may be younger and starting a family, so they want to learn mm -hmm. to order to teach their kids. So you know, that's a big reason to understand um, how to hunt and fish, mm -hmm. to um, teach their kids as well. So I'd say that would be one of the top. I've had a lot of women reach out. My son's interested in yeah. hunting. I, I don't have any idea what to do. Yeah, oh my goodness, I get a lot of different emails and phone calls with that too of, of moms like, you know, my son or my daughter loves to get into hunting. I, I don't know how, you know, I'm afraid of guns or like, that's, I don't know what resource. So it's like, that's huge, right? I mean, like mm -hmm. if they're not fully like understanding yet, but they want to learn along with their child. I mean, that's. For the reasons I, I was just thinking just to myself, cause we, we did an R3 hunt on the TV show a few years ago, I think two years ago we went out with three new hunters mm -hmm. and one of the questions we asked them at the, off the top was what made you decide you wanted to start hunting and one guy told us that he thought that it would just be really cool to be able to get his own meat to harvest his own meat and um, that was kind of his motivation was just wanting to supply himself with that you know he didn't want somebody else to do it for him he wanted to be able to do it himself and then we had another megan martin who has gone through a lot of your courses Yes, and the way is. she talked, she was almost on the verge of like becoming a, a vegetarian or a vegan because she, you know, knew the industrial meat industry. You know, mm -hmm. she knew the meat industry and she just felt bad right. um, for for the process, really. But then she started doing more research on hunting and, you know, she was taking into account quality of life for the animals. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, her quote was that these animals get to, you know, eat whatever they want, go wherever they want, and sleep under the stars every night. And that was like literally. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. You know I mean? And yeah. people think that it's like Elmer Fudd or, you know, Bugs Bunny, where you just jump out of the truck and there's things running everywhere you shoot one. Most of the time hunting, you're unsuccessful. Yeah. You don't get anything. Yeah. So there, there's a, I think, a, a, a kind of a bias that's yeah. built in thinking that it's cake and it's hard. Yeah. And you know? another guy, Anthony, on that same hunt, he had, the pandemic had occurred, and he he had always been a big sports fan, so he was always watching the uh -huh. NFL or the NBA or something on TV. There were no sports, and he said that he was watching TV and there were hunting shows on, and he right. just started watching hunting shows, and that made him want to start hunting. He's uh -huh. just watching those shows. So, And then the other one I've heard that you just kind of mentioned was a, a single mom, mm -hmm. like a divorce yeah. or something, and then mm -hmm. she's got sons, and she wants to be able to interact with them. And, I, and I've do, heard that one a lot. Yeah, yeah. Do, the, do the things with her kids, but she doesn't know how. So she's going to learn how to do the things so she can spend time with her kids, and that's a really right. good reason, too, if yeah. you ask me. So. And, and, you know, a lot of parents like that a lot better than uh, he's going to the mall and farting around oh, and getting gosh. in trouble or playing on the phone or playing video games and getting overweight. You know, you don't. You're not going to be doing that out in the field. Yeah. You know? right. No, no. So that, that sounds. It's, I don't yeah. want to knock anybody's form of parenting, but the whole, the video games and no. the spending. See, that, to me, they're just boring. When I was a kid, I wanted to ride my bike. I wanted to go fishing. I wanted to go to granddad's. <laughs> and, you know, what they do for fun now is what I did when I was in trouble because I was grounded. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I won't. I, won't now, I guess you could say, go outside. You're grounded. <laughs> I, I did. I did play video games when I was younger, but. Um, you know, I, I spent my fair share of time in front of a SOCOM and uh, James Bond and, a, you know, mm -hmm. Grand Theft Auto. I learned a lot playing Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, no, but I'm, I'm so old. All we had was uh, <laughs> Mattel football and uh, Atari, uh, ping pong. But I will say that now, you know, 15 years later, let's say I spent a lot of time playing video games when I was 15, 16. Well, 16 years later, 15 years later, I'm really glad that that wasn't my main hobby. Yeah. You know, because you can kind of look around and... You know, it's just, it's nice to be outdoors. It's nice. And there really is something to it. Nature deficit disorder, mm -hmm. you know, is a, is a real thing. And I mean. It helps your confidence being outside and solving problems and stuff. Like, how do I cross this creek? You know, you got to use your brain. You know, it's just right. much better than. Not just that. I mean, but there is something to be said for just being outside in general and fresh air and sunshine. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, you, you can look it up. I mean, there are scientific studies that show. Um, depression and anxiety levels of people who spend more time outside versus inside. And, mm -hmm. you know, those could also be, you know, we're going to take a deep dive if I do this, but you could also look at it the other way around and say that it's not being outside that's causing less depression and anxiety. It's the fact that you're less depressed and anxious that gets you outside. But, mm -hmm. you know, so there's a little bit of a vice versa there. Yeah, but, you know, 
There's absolutely nothing wrong with being outdoors. No, it's good for you. Yeah. And you said something about problem solving a second ago. That's something it was, um, I explained it to a a guy like that last year whose son was learning, was into fishing and he didn't fish a lot. So I was fishing with both of them one day and I told him, man, fishing. And I just made this up. So I had no idea. I just made this up when I was talking to him. I was like, it's really just problem solving. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know what the solution you want is, and that's to catch these fish and, you're just trying to figure out how to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got to look at the conditions and what the, the habits of the fish and, you know, what, are the, what do they want to eat? Where are they going to be? And just kind of, it's, it's problem solving. Yeah. Where are these fish going to be right now? Okay. That's part of the problem. What do they want to eat right now? That's another part of the problem. And, you know, it's basically just those things. And a lot of hunting and fishing is just problem solving, but it's problem solving where you don't always get the perfect answer because you're relying on the animals too, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think going outside teaches you respect as well. Oh, because, you know, it's one thing to play a video game and you're doing whatever, but when you see an actual real life poisonous snake and it's close to you. Venomous. You know, venomous. <laughs> a rattlesnake. How about yes, that? Yes, a rattlesnake. So if you see an actual rattlesnake and you hear a rattle, you're like, that's not fake. That's not on a video game. That's not on a TV screen. <laughs> that's real life uh, endorphins popping, adrenaline yep. popping, and you've got to figure out how to back up. We started this talking about the elk bugles making the hair on the back mm-hmm. of your neck stand up. Yep. Yep. That's mm-hmm. another one. Well, your videos of y'all getting that close to snakes in Mammoth Cave just kills me. No, the first time, I mean, the first time that I walked up on a rattlesnake and it, I couldn't see it. I had no idea it was there. And it was at Cave Run and we were just walking through the woods and all of a sudden that sound just, you know, it was, it was going everywhere because it was so loud. I couldn't tell if the snake was five feet from me or 50 feet from Mm -hmm. me. First rattle I heard, I just turned around and bolted. Yeah. No, we st- we found it. It was in between some logs, but it it is an eerie sound that'll make the hair on the back. Oh of the God, it scared me to death. We were fishing a little distillery lake. And we were pulling a John boat up there, and we used to go and row, people, you know, and, and catch bass out the wazoo. But one time, <laughs> look over. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I turned around. I was like eleven. Yeah, was, oh my God! I set the Olympic record running like it was in Barstown. Yes, that's yeah. That's about as far north as a. It's as close to the bluegrass we're, region. We're really Chicago. close to Knobs right there. We're yeah. really close to Bernheim and Knobs State Forest. Bernheim right has so. them for sure. Yeah. Last year on a hike, Kristen found a a uh, big rattlesnake with a sixteen. You know, rattlesnakes give live birth. It had sixteen babies with it. Woo! Yeah, it was wow. under a log. She went back the next day, and they were all gone. So wow. there were seventeen rattlesnakes somewhere close to there. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but they were really. I mean, they don't want to bite you, you know, know. know, and we've walked before the gorge we've been hiking in a family with, you know, a mom and dad and two kids and a dog is 50 yards up the trail from us. And we look over and there's a rattlesnake cooled up three feet from the trail and they never knew it. They just walked right by. I I just wonder sometimes all the floating I've done and getting out and portaging boats, how many uh, cotton or copperheads that I've stepped near and Mm -hmm. how many rattlesnakes I may have been close to. Oh, a ton. Yeah. And they've never, you know. Yeah. So what are some other things you hear from people who take the class? What are like concerns they have going into it? Things that yeah, they're afraid of? things I have. Yeah, challenges. For yeah. sure. Um, that, that's the other side of it, right? Of what, what gets them interested. But then a lot of times they may have some big fears or big concerns that they have to work through or learn yeah. more about to overcome those. So, um, And that's good healthy growth as well. Oh, yeah, know? definitely. Um, I would say definitely... It's not not always, but I know too. It's just um, the fear of. I know one lady in particular. She had a fear of touching like a, a dead fish. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was really fear, fearful for her, mm-hmm. um, and that was something that she had to overcome. And too, especially for the ladies, um, maybe like firing a gun, um, whether it be a rifle, shotgun, handgun. Um, could have been like somewheres in their past, like maybe had a bad experience as far as like, maybe it wasn't placed right or it was mm-hmm. the, the wrong gun or, or way too uh, powerful or whatever condition. Um, but uh, a lot of times it is that um, where they may be scared um, or it may be they just don't know enough about the, the firearm. I think a lot of the fear stuff and once again, just another opinion. Stuff yeah. might be, but I think it comes from stigmas, mm-hmm. you know, and you can remember when, I, I don't know if this happened to you, but basically when we're like three and four years old in kindergarten and first grade and things like that, some people kind of have that, oh, snakes are cool, I'm going to grab them mentality. And then the other people develop that, like, yeah, y- yucky, you're nasty. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you develop that mentality when you're like three or four. You either decide something's not 
you, you like some people just decide something is is icky, you know, <laughs> and that just kind of seems to be their mentality for their whole life. Mm-hmm. Like they like they never deviate from that and never never learn. Like, does that make sense? At yeah, all? Like well, it's you, like the kid who got sick on chili never wants to eat chili and is right. an adult. Well, I right. up on that when I was eight. I was yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It just seems like you, you, at a young age, you decide you don't want to touch a fish, a dead fish or a live fish, or you don't want to be interested in mm-hmm. bugs and snakes and stuff. And you just, for some reason, carry that with you your whole life. Mm-hmm. And you, after age four or five, you never decide to grow out of that. And that's just how it seems like a lot of people do it. And it could come from parents or friends or anything. You're, you're, you know, you go outside and see a frog in the garden and your mom slaps you on the wrist and says don't touch that that's you know, you'll get warts and then you never want to touch it yeah toad yeah you get warts <laughs> yeah. and toad. Yeah. but usually they were you know they pee all over you too when you grab them so they yeah. usually teach you pretty quick don't touch toads yeah yeah but still i just think it's a stigma <laughs> and it's an unreasonable stigma for adults to have because it was developed when they were four and five yeah that's kind of the way i see it I'll, yeah i totally agree yeah Oh, well. well, my brother-in-law won't eat chili because he got sick when he was little on chili. He's not touched it. Oh, no. I, 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 chili has noodles in it, to, in my opinion. Chili has noodles. And I remember eating so much chili at my grandma's one time. And then we went to the park, and I got on the merry-go-round. Mm. I was going <laughs> so, so fast. And it was... I've, I've never, I feel kind of dizzy, Grandma. I'm not even going to lay down. That's when, I, that's when I realized that I didn't chew my food well enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nasty story. But I remember it like it was yesterday. Well, when you're little and that you had all the pops and all the hot dogs you could eat, and then you drink five pops and eat four hot dogs, and on the way home, oh, Dad, I don't think you're going to pull over. I don't feel very good. Gosh. <laughs> I was, it was a lot tougher when I was a kid because now if I ate the same stuff I did back then. I mean, I'm telling you, every day I'd go to my grandparents' house before school to wait for the bus, and she would cook me a stack of four big Eggos smothered in peanut butter and just, like, syrup, half a bottle of syrup. Like, it's a... And I was probably drinking Coke, you know, for breakfast. Well, maybe if... if Fried peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and then it is. I walked out to the bus. Right. That's, that's yeah. what I had a lot of times. Wow. Yeah, I got I got spooled as far as I could, but it was all the sweets I wanted. And now I just my body wouldn't. I'd, oh. feel, I'd feel like death for a couple of days. Yeah. I'm down. I'm, I'm, especially my condition. Yeah, I'd be. A, sec, a second ago, Olivia, you were talking about when you're we talking about the guns and the stigmas. You were talking about maybe a bad experience, mm-hmm. and I actually on when I was thinking about why spring turkey is a good opportunity for someone to get into it. Um, I was thinking about the advancements in guns too. So now mm-hmm. a 410 is a perfectly acceptable turkey gun, and mm-hmm. it, might, it might be the best turkey gun, you know, with tungsten right. loads. And oh yeah, 410s are becoming really, really popular mm-hmm. for turkey hunting because they're lightweight and they're much smaller and they don't kick hard. So I mean, the door's opening up even wider for people to get into hunting because now you don't have to shoot a three and a half inch 12 gauge with two and a half ounces of shot that's right. going to kick you like a mule mm-hmm. you know you can yeah. shoot something fairly comfortable and squirrel hunting take a 22 out there in the spring and there's no recoil oh yeah i've yeah. got my grandmother's uh mossberg pistol grip bolt action 410 nice that thing will tame but that's the only shotgun i have for years but i still have it i, have <laughs> I went i went I dove, have to get that out one of my buddies i went dove hunting with uh like two years ago and i showed up with just you know made 70 12 gauge same thing i used for everything he showed up with a bolt action single shot 410 <laughs> i was like you're gonna dove hunt with well good luck, good luck. <laughs> i yeah. did hey that's all i had yeah uh, you use he, what you got he I didn't mean, get his limit that day but you know if he did, I'd have been impressed. Yeah, that's an expert's gun, really. <laughs> He's not an expert. Yeah. He's not an expert. <laughs> yeah. but you, you can go with anything, though. You know, just look at the rules and regs and see what's legal. And as long yeah. as it's legal, there's absolutely no shame in taking no. it. No. So. Mm-hmm. And archery equipment, too. There used to be a 35-pound minimum on bows, but now that's done away with because mm-hmm. bows have become so advanced mm-hmm. that... God, they're so much better than when I was young. Yeah, oh, yeah. that and crossbows. You had to be strong as an ox when I was a kid to pull one back. Yeah. And a lot of people still used uh, recurves, and a lot of fiberglass recurves were really popular when I was growing up. You don't hardly see them anymore. I'm telling you, as far as a bow, if I was going to give a, a new hunter advice on a, a bow, I would tell them that the draw weight isn't important at all. It's all about comfort. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, I used to shoot 80 pounds because I thought it's really probably because I thought it was cool. You know, but, <laughs> Going back to that. But now I've got a 60-pound bow, and I've, I've got it back down to a weight, and I mean, I can hold it back and pull it, you know, without going way up over my head or over. It's just a nice smooth draw, and that's how I want it to be. And if I need to let it down, I can let it down slow without, you know, hurting turkey and ripping my rotator cuff to pieces. And so I would, I would say that 
how you can hunt with a piece of equipment is more important than the equipment itself. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to have the the newest and the best and and the biggest and the baddest. You can literally whatever's comfortable with you is probably what's best for you. And that is just my two cents. But yeah, and to add into that too, I know there's a lot of people you talked about. Like, why do people get into hunting? Um, I know definitely with the media with more movies that involved archery i know that mm-hmm. is hunger games uh-huh. and, so on, yeah. mm-hmm. and i've heard from new hunters too of like they're more interested in the traditional aspect of using a bow or um recurve bow too well, pretty and, wooden recurves they're gorgeous. And, uh, yeah. it's the same thing as the 410 who wants to haul around a, a big compound bow you know with a i don't use a quiver or anything because i don't like hauling around that huge thing but um i mean with a recurve bow you're talking about like something that weighs three pounds mm-hmm. i mean just as easy as can be and uh, you're right the lord of the rings movies with uh was it legolas or legolas or with the elf guy it was orlando bloom yeah orlando bloom's character him and his bow and then you had uh um jennifer lawrence and hunger games with her bow and that one probably got a lot of people inspired and then you have nasp also the national national archery mm-hmm. and schools program that has got to be introducing a lot of people it is and then at the same time we have crossbows now being legal for 80 mm-hmm. percent of the season pretty much i mean all but two weeks so that's got to open some doors. So it seems like there's opportunity, more and more opportunity for people to get into hunting and fishing. It's, people just need to get out there and do it. And these classes are essentially trying to give people who might not have the tools they need, you know, the knowledge and the tools. Because you will loan people equipment also, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, within the some of the different programs, yeah. um, depending on what it is. So if somebody can... needs a, if somebody comes and takes a, a class and, and they're going to go hunting, and there are, in certain situations, you'd have to tell me exactly what they are, but there, there's crossbows back there mm-hmm. that people could borrow. There's targets, there's range finders, mm-hmm. yeah. there's equipment people can use if they need to. Right, depending on um, the, the class, if we have it set up as like a mentor hunt, or mm-hmm. if there's a, a hunting aspect of it where they can loan out some camo, or like you said, range finders, or even a blind to as a part of the, the hunt itself. So what was the last class that you that you put on? Um, me and Easton uh-huh. uh, with aquatic education, yeah. we did a class here in Frankfurt and it was Become an Outdoors Woman Hook and Cook okay. class. So that was, I think, two Saturdays ago. Was that the one where Sierra mm-hmm. got the... Yes. Oh, yes. Sierra so, took that class and that's where she got that crappie? Right, yeah. Nice. So flip right. side of that with Field of Fork, but with Hook and Cook, I mean, you literally learn everything there is from um, regulations to what kind of fish are in Kentucky to how... Uh, Easton walks through how to set up your fishing rod, um, put mm-hmm. how to put on a bob or in a weight. So say I walk it. So say I'm a new. Uh-huh. I want to learn how to fish, and all I know is that I want to learn how to fish. <clears throat> and I've signed up for the the hook and cook that you took took part in. So tell me, just give me the real brief rundown. What am I? What? How are we going to do this class? Oh my goodness! So first step is with a class. It's typically free. You just need your fishing license. So easy part. Um, if I know I want to fish, I yeah. need a fishing license anyway, so boom, got that. Yeah, so then in the morning, um, walk through the different regulations, why people fish, where can you go fishing, mm-hmm. uh, talk about the different fins, lakes, fishing in neighborhoods, mm-hmm. where you could go. Um, from there, talk about different artificial bait, live bait, and how to set up your rod. We actually take some time and Easton walks you through how to do so, um, also different types of fishing equipment too. Um, afternoon, talk about how to fillet a fish. So there we had a lot of fish that were donated, um, that were frozen and thawed out. And those that were interested were able to fillet both sides of a fish too. Um, and then that particular class, which a lot of them have a, a cooking component, mm-hmm. Um, where Martha, Martha Yaunt from UK Extension Office, she came in and um, I think she did two different recipes of how to cook fish. One was fried. Um, one, let's see, what did she cook? <laughs> no, it was um, baked. I think they're both were baked. Okay, well, it's a healthier option. Yes, and, that, and that's what they I have to admit, though, as well. fried crappie is. <laughs> Do you like Try to get away from the, the, the fried. I, I, I grilled. I have to watch that too. I can't hardly yeah. anymore. I grilled saga recently, and mm-hmm. that was whoo, grilled delicious. Yeah. Oh yeah, is that the one that you sent me a picture of? Yeah, probably so. 
The one I caught down at uh, uh, Elkhorn. Yes. Floyd's Fork. Yeah. No. No, Salt River. But they went cold. But so essentially I walk into this class as, mm-hmm. an, as a somebody who wants to be an angler. I've got the desire to be an angler. I've got my fishing license. So I learn how to set my rod and reel, how yep. to tie a knot, how to choose between artificial and, and real bait and which one's probably good in which situations. I learn a couple places I can go fish. But you said Finn's Lakes, but there's also the Find a Place to Fish mm-hmm. uh, app on the website. I'm yep. sure you show people that. And we that shows pu- that public access to Floyd's Fork and, and Elkhorn and a bunch of different places. And probably reference a lot of Lee's articles mm-hmm. from the Blue Water Trails. And then actually go out and catch fish, clean fish, cook fish. Yep. So, so it's essentially everything you need to know. Yeah, the, the fish that they used to fillet on, we already had those available. But um, in the afternoon, we end with fishing. So they fished here at Headquarters Lake, and it was really cold and windy, but um, it was really sweet because a lot of people stayed and, and fished. And yeah. um, I think one lady um, yeah, caught her, her limit. It was trout with that class. It was specifically more focused on trout, but um, also went through all different species of, of fish, too. So, yeah, by the end of the day, you would... W- learn pretty much be ready yeah pretty much be ready go out and do it for yourself at that point and i know with that class um the next day a participant went back out here to to fish as well so like talk about full full circle and she was also the the lady that was intimidating with touching a dead fish so that's great she's definitely overcome mm -hmm. stuff like that yeah and um she flayed her own fish that day too the following day afterwards so she, I would say, definitely graduated yeah, from the Yeah, she did, she did really the well there. Cook. Yeah, I'll tell you what, and that's, though. that's what it's all about. It's like it may be just one portion that they need help with. It's yeah. maybe just like how to bait, or maybe they weren't successful before in the fat in the past, but they maybe they caught one fish or um, just now know more well, tips and tricks that I'll tell you, able if you, to advance. Mm-hmm. If you had a woman come out who was afraid to touch a fish, and then the next day she on her own decided Just that she wanted to fish. come out here and fish on her own and caught fish and took them home and filleted them by herself and mm-hmm. i'd say that class was a success yeah. <laughs> you know? well with with her um she actually came to our becoming outdoors woman event in the fall mm-hmm. so it's kind of been from last fall so till she's now. been she's overcoming that fear mm-hmm. a couple of times but still yeah. you can see the growth yes so that's, definitely. that's that's what you want to see and i will say you, lee you talked about sierra a second ago mm-hmm. sierra's um a writer with Kentucky Field Magazine works up there in the office with mm-hmm. you, and she took this class. She and did. When, when Sierra came to the department, uh, probably two years ago, she's yeah. probably been around for two years, um, she wasn't an outdoors person, didn't hunt, didn't fish. but Did she, a little bit of it. She grew up in a farming community, kind of. But she caught a nice black crappie mm-hmm. during that event. Oh, she texted me, look, yeah. like, you know. <laughs> no, if that one didn't get fried up or grilled, I'm going to be really <laughs> I, think it, I think it went back in there. So yeah. I might, might have, have to have go chance catch that one myself because it was probably a 12-inch black oh, crappie. Oh, it was a nice one. I'd yeah. love to have caught it. Well, one of the, the – uh, Jerry McDaniel's a well-known guide on the Cumberland River, and he's an excellent instructor of fly fishing. And he told me several times that women – take to fly fishing quicker than men because mm-hmm. there's no preconceived notions and again the macho thing because it's about timing and it's about grace and it's not about power the harder you try to cast a fly rod the shorter it goes yeah. so he says you know if, if any women are marginally interested in it he's always he said i love to teach women because they they excel because they don't come in there with preconceived notions yeah i've heard of that too of um both fly fishing but then with archery too of mm-hmm. just um Ladies tend to be, I guess, a little bit more patient. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, but um, sometimes the patient role in that plays a part. I think one of the most important things you can do is not being afraid to fail. You know, like, that's what stops a lot of people from doing things, is that they, it, I mean, there's absolutely no reason someone else could be better at it or, or you know, more able to do something than them, but they're just more afraid to fail, so they never even try. You know, and it kind of sounds like you're saying that I could see I could see how some men would be reluctant to get into the outdoors because they are afraid to fail and look at the comparison. But maybe women are, you know, happier being green, mm-hmm. um, coming into it. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, like, yeah I, mean, it does. I think it's all based on the individual, though. Like I don't think it's yeah, that's very true. I'm stereotyping. I shouldn't yeah. be. Yeah. That's true. No, but I, I'm just thinking like I, I kind of have this. It seems to me like it might be even harder for a 40 year old man to take up 
hunting or fishing for the first time than it would be a woman just because there's kind of a stigma that mm-hmm. y- you should have been doing this already. Oh, right, right. Yeah. or yeah. feel like they're behind. You know, or if you grow up in an urban environment, you don't have it around you all the no, time. No, that's the know? thing. A lot of people, you know, we look at why people from urban areas don't necessarily hunt or fish at the same rate. Mm-hmm. It might not have anything to do with them as a person. It's just they probably grew up with less access, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and it's easy for people out in rural communities because you might be able to walk out your back door and go hunting or fishing. Mm-hmm. And you also can look at what, like if fishing is kind of universal because there's not really a barrier there in the same way, like you don't need access to land because a lot of urban centers are built on rivers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can also kind of look at what people from urban areas tend to fish for more. And it might be less stream smallmouth or mm-hmm. less uh, largemouth bass out of lakes, but it might be more catfish or more uh, like rough fish species that you'll find around river areas. So <clears throat> I don't think it's necessarily that the desire to do these outdoor things isn't there. It's just the opportunity and kind of overcoming those barriers. And we have WMAs. We have public access areas for fishing and hunting. I mean, if you look at our WMA map, the, the state's pretty well covered. <laughs> um, there are WMAs everywhere. In fact, I don't know if you can, I could probably be proven wrong on this, but I don't know if you're anywhere in the state where you're not within, I would, I want to say half an hour, but I'd probably say 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Of a WMA. Yeah. yeah. Like right now here in Frankfurt, we're close to Cleaver and Sullivan are both really close to us. And then around. Taylorsville Lake WMA. Taylorsville mm-hmm. Lake is another one. I'm trying to think when, if you're in Louisville, you're close to Otter Creek Outdoor Recreation Area, Taylorsville Lake. Um, mm-hmm. You could pretty much go drop a pin on any random point in the state and you're going to be within yeah. reasonable driving distance. And then Yellow Banks, too. Yellow Banks. Yellow Bank. Well, Yellow Bank's mm-hmm. probably an hour and 20 from Louisville. Okay. It's, uh, it's on the other side of Otter Creek. And it's the same county as Otter Creek, but for some reason you can get to Otter Creek twice as quick. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's just the back road. Is that gotcha. Meade? It's yeah, Meade it's County. Meade's Mead like that big, weird looking, big long county, but you know? Yeah. 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 So opportunities everywhere. Have you seen numbers going up in the classes? Um, I know, well, with COVID, unfortunately. COVID. We, oh. we had to stop in person, but with COVID though, we did more webinars, so that's was another thing I was going to add is we do a lot of different webinars. I've hosted a couple. Top. Yeah, Lee's Lee's been on a couple for sure. Um, so they're fun actually. Do webinars, but then in person. So I'd say we're back on as far as hosting classes. But um, with us, we're a smaller group, so you know we can only teach so many classes. So I think we're pretty max of how many teachers we how many classes we can teach. But I think with numbers, it's just really neat to see different participants going to different mm-hmm. learn to hunt, fish and shoot events that we put on. And then within two or three years, they either become an instructor and they help teach classes or they're taking out, out yeah. somebody. Aside from the classes, the R3 division also does, you know, web, like you were mentioning, with the web webinars and mm-hmm. things like that. They were back in the classroom here right next to our, our room right now just a few weeks ago shooting videos about how to clean fish, and they were doing all different species. So they had bluegill and catfish and several different species of fish, and those videos are available on the website now. So if you, you know, you could get on YouTube and search how to clean a bluegill, and I'm sure you could find it. All that's also on the R3 pages on the website. Yeah. And you know what, Lee, this, I'm actually jealous because I can't remember who it was that caught those fish. Do you remember? Some, maybe Andrew. Somebody went and had to catch fish to mm-hmm. shoot these videos about how to clean fish, and he, uh, he caught the catfish from the hatchery. So can you imagine how difficult that probably was? <laughs> I mean, I, that's something I'd... You know, it, it, it'd be, for educational purposes like that video, it makes sense. But mm-hmm. catching a catfish out of those hatchery ponds had to be the easiest thing in the world. So, yeah, just, uh, yeah. okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen them feed the fish down there at the hatchery? Yeah, it's, it's a frenzy. Yeah, they just shoot it in like out of it. It looks like a wood chipper. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it's an auger. It shoots the the little pellets of food out into the water, and those fish look like piranhas. Oh, they do. It's, do. it's really cool. Well, they say... Uh, when we stock fish at Crocus Creek in the Cumberland River, the stripers do that to the trout. Oh, I might have to go down there. That <laughs> they said it's wild, That's huge stripers. I would love to see that. Yeah, uh, with a uh, artificial, you know, trout like, swim bait. 
Yeah, like a big uh, Huddleson swim bait, mm-hmm. big trout imitator, little rainbow trout imitator. If I ever do make it, it's hard for me to go float the Cumberland, Cumberland River. I'd love to, but it's a two and a half hour drive for me. And you know, you're talking about two cars because you oh, aren't, yeah, you aren't battling upstream there. Just fishing Cumberland from Frankfurt in a day, you come home, you're just beat. Yeah, it's a long day. But it'd be worth it. But if I went down there and fished Cumberland River, I would definitely have myself a big trout swim bait. No doubt. Right on. Cause I've seen some monster stripers in there. That's and when we have gone down there and floated for the show, we've seen them attack trout, you know, out in the middle. And a farmer hooked a trout on the show probably 10 years ago. And while he was reeling that trout in, a big old striper came up there and took it from him. I remember that. Yeah. Right there by Rock House or yep. something like that. That's an opportunity I would absolutely love to go do. But before we call it quits, I did want to talk about white bass for a second. Are you ready to go, Lee? Heck yeah. Yeah, that's what we were actually planning to do for our next podcast was go white bass. That's fishing. right. That's why we we're. I was like, what up? Because but then it blew. It was just yeah. Went to... Well, you know, I I was talking to to Bo Spencer about this two days ago, and I talked to Gabe about this too. But you always feel like in mid March. You feel like you should be catching white bass mm-hmm. and you start getting antsy and you're like where are they they're they're a little bit behind a little bit late well gabe told me that he because i was telling him i was like i'm gonna go catch them today and he said you're still too early and i was like man i'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm on time and he said i went back through my photos last night and he was telling me the dates mm-hmm. that he started seeing yep. them showing up and it was like you know this time of year it was yep. early april and so out of curiosity, I went back through my last three or four years of photos. And he was 100% right. You know, it was to start seeing stringers about this time of year through early May. But it, you just get so antsy and you want it to be white bass fishing time so badly that you're like anticipating it and waiting for it. And it always seems like it's late. No, but, no, because you think it should be early. Yeah, you think it should be already going on. But the truth is that it's probably going to be the same exact time this year as it has been the last five years. And Two years ago, I think, I had a glory day two or three years ago with Kevin uh, the uh, on Oaks Day, the Friday before the Derby. Slayed yeah. him. Yeah, last year. <laughs> and I, that's supposedly, quote, unquote, too late. So. Yeah, May, May 2nd and May 15th last year, I both went out. And I did have a good day or two this year already, mm-hmm. but it's just that, you know, one little, um, you know, like. Mini run. Yeah, of. like a little mini run. You'll just get, they're, they're faking you out. You can still males, catch them. little males. Yeah. yeah, I caught 40 males that day. But I've been down there several times since then, and they haven't been there. Well, the, the, what was the CFS? I haven't checked it this morning. Last last Friday I went, and CFS was 50. Yeah, which and is it no hasn't rained much, so. And that was there was a 50 mile an hour wind day. I went down there, and the CFS was 50, and the wind was 50 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, I think those bass were probably swimming towards the south shore because that's which way the wind was coming from. Because there was more current from the wind mm-hmm. than there was coming across the river. You know. Did you catch any? Uh, smallmouth. That's the one good thing is you can always go catch smallmouth. But uh, white bass and saw guy were nowhere to be seen. Water was crystal clear. So essentially what we've needed from yesterday or the day before yesterday is the river was too low. I'm talking about Salt River, but this probably goes for Dix and Harrington or for Dix and Nolan oh, and Licking. The river was too low. There wasn't enough flow. And the water was too cold because it had been cold for several days. So what we need is rain, which if you look outside... We're getting, mm-hmm. and we need some warm temperatures. And when you guys came in and sat down, I was like, as long as it's over 55 out there, I'm, I'm happy. Well, that's because we need water temperature that's 53, 54, mm-hmm. 55 degrees. And if cool. the air temperature is 55 and it's raining, that means the water temperature should be getting close to 55 too. So I'm thinking very strongly about making a trip down there after work today and doing some scouting. But I'm eyeballing Thursday. Because it's going to rain tomorrow also, and temperatures are still going to be pretty good. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking Thursday, you might be able to catch them. And I, I, I do think you probably can catch them elsewhere in the state, like Nolan. Maybe, yeah. It seems like to... Nolan's always more consistent, always a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. But I think that here, you could probably say from this weekend or early next week, for two or three weeks, it's going to be oh. on statewide. So it is about time to... Man, it's right at the doorstep. It just yep. hasn't come on the on the porch yet. throw fresh line on your reels and get I you a little box that. together of uh an eighth ounce and quarter ounce jig heads or 16 ounce i already have a bag ready you you. get yourself <laughs> some little curly tails or some little swim baits or some popeyes and a couple little casting bobbers and mm. it's really all you need but, i mean that, that slays them is a little pear jig a feather jig popeye under, under a, pop a bobber God, people I, I see people have a whole lot of luck doing that like i mean some days i'll go out there and fish and 
I'll catch one or two for this other guy that fishing 20 yards from me every five he catches and he's throwing the Popeye and the hair jig. Mm-hmm. But I just prefer the retrieve method, oh, I you know. But if you like using that method, it's probably the most effective. Be good for kids too because they get something to stare at if you're taking a youngster. You know, I mean, you got to keep their, they'll start throwing rocks if, you know, a bobber, it's like keeps them fixated, you know. And if it's going under all the time, then they're not throwing rocks. Yeah. Skip the rocks. And, you know, the thing is, white bass also vary. I mean, sometimes they're way up towards the surface and sometimes they're They're sitting on the bottom. bottom, So you might have to move that Popeye around a little bit, go from, you know, 12 inches below the bobber down to three feet below the bobber or something like that. One day it was like 18 inches, you know, where they weren't on top, they weren't on the bottom, and I had a pink, little bitty 32nd ounce uh, feather jig. It was designed for red ear fishing, and I destroyed them. Yeah. Just like that far. Not too shallow, not deep, medium. And yep. just sat there and whap, whap. That bobber had disappeared about every cast. It was great. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. We'll go do that soon. Yes, we'll do a podcast from White Bass come uh, Hades or High Water. Yep. Eventually, probably in the next, we'll, we'll do that the next one. We'll shoot to do that on the next one, yeah. next two weeks or so. General turkey season's coming up right around the corner, less than two weeks away, like we said. White bass fishing should be excellent. Thinking what other opportunities we have coming in. Stream smallmouth aren't there yet, but they will be. They're catchable. Yeah. Stream smallmouth are always catchable, you know, but, um, it's, but been, it's not it's, fire yet. It's been slow. I mean, I've been skunked, <laughs> snuck off waiting to glory spots that I've caught them at this time of year before and I've been scared. Yeah, I went on a float about two weeks ago and it was tough fishing. But the fish were good fish. Um, yeah. But it was I tough was hoping fishing. to fool, but that's the day, one of the days I waited was the day that Sierra caught her. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it was just... <laughs> I went fishing with a group of guys. There were five of us total. And uh, one of my buddies swam three times. He flipped his guy <sighs> three times. And it was, uh, we put on the water, it was uh, about 45 degrees he went for three oh, swims, boy. but that's why you prepare. We had dry bags yeah. with uh, towels and extra pairs of clothes. I swam one, so I can't say a whole lot. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I went for one good swim, but the high of that day was in the mid-60s, so by the time I flipped, it was towards the end, and I was fairly warm. But <clears throat> I had just as much fun watching him flip and swim <laughs> as I did fishing. We were floating in late February with Kevin one time. We caught fish, and these kids came down. They had shorts and uh, and hoodies on. Oh, I'm cold. I was like, well, it's the fourth week of February and you're wearing shorts. Of course you're cold. All of it rained. Mm. We were fine. Those guys got soaked and they were chattering and shivering. And yeah. well, Hello to the takeout. I was like, well, you've got a little ways to go. Paddle fast. That'll warm you up. <laughs> yeah. The next time wear actual clothing when it's February. Olivia, you got any dates you <laughs> want to give us before we call it quits? Yeah, I do. Um, I guess. First off, too, with talking about kayaking, um, we're doing kayak our giveaway. Yep. Uh, yeah. Giveaway. Yeah, yeah, kayak giveaway. I need to enter that. Yeah, I will enter that too. Some people around the department, you know, worry about entering the the contest. Like, I'm just going to enter them. If I take somebody new fishing, I'm going to enter the kayak giveaway. Probably won't win, but it's worth. I mean, it's a good opportunity for anybody, really, because yeah, it is. I've seen the numbers um, on the number of entrants per year, and you're. Uh, your chances of winning a prize package like this or this is probably as good an opportunity as you'll ever have like oh, as far yeah. as you, you, if you want to win something this is probably the contest to enter because you have a pretty good chance mm-hmm. of, of winning and all you have to do is take somebody fishing yeah and with that it's somebody that's brand new who never purchased a fishing license before or who hasn't purchased in the last three years yeah. so and two the if you take out three new people, that's three new chances you can put yep. in for the kayak. So, so you can, every person you take your, is an entry. Yep, increase your odds that way. Essentially, as long as they haven't had a fishing license in the past three years, mm-hmm. then all you really do, you take them, right? They have to buy a fishing license. And then you just enter their customer ID number on the website. There's very clear instructions there is. on the way. You can just search kayak giveaway, fw.ky.gov, and in the search bar, kayak well, that's giveaway. That's good. That way it gets... Funnels out the cheaters. Yeah, literally just takes a few few minutes just to enter it in yeah. and pick a great day to go and yep. you're entered in. So with that, and then also with kayak fishing, um, our aquatic ed uh, branch, they're doing uh, a class here in Frankfurt. It's May 5th, 12th, and 14th. So the last day, May 14th, it's a, a paddling event. So um, everybody that's taking the class will have the opportunity to go paddling um, together on the Elkhorn 
And so more information is located on our website. Yeah, on that's the, on the calendar too. On the so calendar right? too. You can mm -hmm. probably search that one. But that so on the home page of the website, if you scroll all the way down, there's an option for a calendar there and that one's listed. You said it's May fifth, twelfth, and fourteenth. You got it. And on the fourteenth is the one where you're actually out on Elkhorn doing the kayaking and mm -hmm. you probably learn uh, basics of kayaking and how to be safe and legal and how to pick out a kayak that fits you and things like that. Yeah. And then too with that the the two classes before be talking about what we talked about earlier with the hook and cook portion. So oh, okay. So that, also the how to how to fish basically. Yeah, how to fish. So, so all of that. How to kayak and how to fish mm -hmm. and then go kayak fish. Yep. Okay. Exactly right. That's what I like about our classes is they're all inclusive, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's not like we're just teaching you how to rig up a pole and tie a knot this day. We're gonna take you all the way through and show you how to mm -hmm. clean and cook. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's probably my favorite part about them. Because, I mean, you can watch YouTube videos all day long, but you'll never get the hands-on portion sure. sitting in front of a computer on your phone watching that a is, video. Yep. Sure. That is true. I'm not sure if they'll have a, a cooking portion with that one. It'd be more of the yeah, tactical hands-on. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then, two, June 18th, we have a Annie Oakley day, so it's learn how to um, shoot shotgun, rifle, and... Um, archery and then fishing as well so okay. that's for the ladies yeah, yeah in louisville um at fern creek sportsman's club and so that's coming up that's a nice lake it is and registration will open up soon for yeah, we, we've that covered event. that event for kentucky bill tv before and it seems oh, like yeah. a lot of fun yeah a lot of a lot of smiles going on in that yeah, one i've been to Definitely. that a couple of times we did stories on it and with that event we get a lot of new ladies um showing up mm -hmm. who live in louisville or surrounding areas and like we had talked about before too, of may not have like family or friends that are a part of hunting and fishing and they saw it on Facebook somehow or- um, Is there a Facebook page for Becoming an Outdoors Woman? There is. Yeah, mm -hmm. I thought so. Yep. And so somebody could check that out too and probably find more details. Yeah, I'm sure the events are probably posted in that group also. Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah, it'd probably be a good, uh, good one for someone who was looking. Just search at Kentucky Becoming an Outdoors Woman. Okay. It pulls up. Well, I appreciate you all coming on. We'll go all fish right. sometime you. soon. Yes. Definitely. Looking forward to spring turkey season, going fishing, all kinds of good stuff here soon. Well, I appreciate you all swinging by. No problem. Thank you. Thank you.